Our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis, chapters 2 and 3, selected verses. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. I love to eat. Anyone who knows me well knows that one of my favorite pastimes in life is enjoying good food. In fact, before I was married, one of my primary criteria for a wife was someone who, when we went out to eat, would not always order a salad, but who would always order dessert. (laughs) After all, if we couldn't share the love of great food together, I mean, what was really the point? But alas, I am no longer a young man and can no longer consume calories at the rate I once did without paying a heavy price. But I still love to eat. That's why my favorite image of the kingdom of heaven is that great messianic banquet that goes on for eternity. I mean, what could be better than that? Of course, even if I did not love food quite so much, eating would still be a necessity. For no matter how much food we consume on any given day, we still wake up the next morning with hungry bellies. Indeed, perhaps our most defining characteristic as human beings is that we are perpetually hungry creatures. Of course, we don't just hunger for food, do we? No, we hunger for love and intimacy and companionship. We hunger for for acceptance and and affirmation and approval. We hunger for friendship and and fulfillment, for security and success, for bigger and for better and for more. Oh, how we hunger for more. 
And yet, no matter how much of these things we, we get, and let's be honest, most of us have quite a bit, it still often seems, as Mick Jagger once said, that we just can't get no satisfaction. But that is not the way God intended life to be. For before that old serpent came along and things took a dive, or should we say a fall, God had placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in paradise, where God provided everything they needed to live, all the food they could eat. And Adam and Eve lived in intimate communion with God. I mean, that's actually what it means to be in paradise. You see, the word paradise comes from an old uh, Persian word that means the king's garden. It was that special, beautiful, peaceful place where ancient kings would take someone to honor them and, and to spend uh, some, some special time, intimate time with them. And Adam and Eve were living in the garden of the king of all creation, basking in the light of his presence. And in that garden with God, everything was sacramental. You see, sacraments are physical things that embody and convey God's grace to us. They're God's life-giving word given to us in a tangible form. St. Augustine referred to them as visible signs of an invisible grace. Sacraments remind us that, that, that all of life is a gift intended to bring us into communion with God. They point us away from ourselves and toward the one who made us. Sacraments are like windows through which the grace and the love of God are revealed to us and made real for us. And in the king's garden, in paradise, everything was meant to be a sacrament of God's blessing. Well, except for one thing, of course. The fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden was forbidden. But then that serpent comes slithering along, twisting God's words, sowing seeds of doubt, turning Adam and Eve's thoughts away from God's abundant goodness and generosity to the one limitation that God had set for them. Did God really say that you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? Of course, that's not what God said, and Eve knew it. But the damage had already been done. For God's goodness and wisdom were now in question. And of course, we all know what happened next. Adam and Eve took, and they ate. The serpent continues to ask this dubious question of us through the voice of our fallen world, although it comes in many different forms. 
always tempting us to rebel against God's boundaries and commandments? Did God really say that having a lot of money is evil? Did God really say that that sex is bad? Did God really say that it's wrong to drink a little alcohol or to enjoy some of the finer things in life? What a cosmic killjoy. God must not want you to have any fun. There's nothing wrong with trying to get all the things that you want in life. Stop living in the dark ages. Be enlightened. If it feels good, do it. Go ahead. Take a bite. And the serpent is so insidious, constantly tempting us to to doubt God's goodness by twisting God's words and, and making them sound absurd. It urges us to use our own infallible judgment of what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. After all, the serpent insists, we're really independent, autonomous beings who are fully capable of making the best decisions for ourselves in life. And we take the bait. The reason the serpent's words are so effective is that they they cause us to take our eyes off of God and put them on ourselves instead. They make us focus on our hunger and suggest a multitude of ways for us to satisfy it. Most of all, they tempt us to view the world and all that is in it as an end in itself. As if all creation is there simply to satisfy our hunger, to meet our needs as we see fit. And as a result, despite all the blessings that God has given us, which again, most of us have quite a bit, we usually pitch our tent beneath the one thing we do not have and complain about what is missing in our lives. According to Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann, the original sin is not primarily that we disobeyed God, but that we ceased to be hungry for God and God alone. We cease to see all of life as a sacrament of communion with God and to receive it all with thanksgiving. For beneath all disobedience in the end is ingratitude. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit, rather than their eyes becoming truly opened as the serpent had promised, they instead became blind to the sacramental character of the world. And everything became ordinary. Shmeiman says that the fruit of that one tree, whatever else it may signify, was unlike every other fruit in the garden, for it alone was not blessed by God and offered to humanity as a gift. It's the symbol of the world loved for its own sake rather than as a 
a sacramental gift pointing to its creator. And therefore, eating of that fruit was condemned to be merely communion with it alone rather than with God. And as a result, the world became opaque to our eyes, no longer permeated by God's presence, no longer a means of of communion with God. Humanity lost the ability to see the blessings of paradise in our midst. So rather than becoming enlightened, Adam and Eve became doomed to wander in darkness, groping around for a paradise they could no longer see. Their communion with God shattered. And so their hunger became insatiable. For behind all hunger and all desire is a hunger and a desire for God. And ever since, human beings have tried to satisfy that raging hunger within us with just about everything imaginable. Alcohol. Busyness, drugs, food, money, power, popularity, sex, work, travel. But none of these things are able to satisfy us because they are all only capable of offering the appearance of life rather than life itself. And therefore, in the end... They all only lead to death. But thanks be to God that that is not the end of the story. For God refused to abandon us to this fatal exile of blind, relentless hunger. But into the darkness of our despair, God sent us a light, His only Son. And in Jesus Christ, the new Adam, the sacramental character of life is restored to humanity. For Jesus lived on our behalf the life of grateful obedience and humble dependence on his Father as we were created to. In fact, when Jesus himself was tempted by Satan to satisfy his own hunger in a way that was not blessed by God, Jesus quoted from Scripture saying, A human being does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For Jesus lived in perfect communion with his Father, and that is what sustained him. And by giving us the sacrament of communion, Jesus is inviting us to participate in his own life-giving relationship with the Father. So when we come to this table with thanksgiving, we are communing with God through Jesus Christ, the true bread of life come down from heaven. That's why another word for the sacrament of communion is the Eucharist, which simply means thanksgiving. For to be thankful 
is to humbly acknowledge that we are dependent on God for life. It's to direct our attention away from our hungry souls and toward the one who feeds us. You see, even our daily hunger itself was intended to be a sacrament of God's grace, pointing us to the one from whom all blessings flow, the one who alone is the source of all life. That's why the sacrament of communion is appropriately one in which we are fed. After all, it was by taking and eating that which was not blessed and given to us as a gift that paradise was lost and the world became opaque to us. Our communion with God shattered. Therefore, it is by taking and eating what is blessed and given that our communion and our vision are restored as the world becomes transparent to God's presence and blessings once again. And when we live Eucharistically with joyful gratitude to God, then just about anything in our lives can become sacramental. The gleeful laugh of a small child, the musical chatter of the birds, a compassionate embrace from a loved one, the the stunning colors of a sunset, a slow walk through a park, the beautiful stained glass windows, a, a meal shared among friends, the luscious taste of a chocolate molten lava cake. Even the smallest, most ordinary-seeming things can become a means of communion with God when we live a sacramental life, a life of grateful awareness of all of God's abundant blessings in our midst. And when we do that, we discover that we're not really east of Eden after all. In his book, The Luminous Dusk, my former seminary professor, New Testament scholar Dale Allison, tells of of an extraordinary experience that he had many years ago. He writes, One mid-afternoon, when I was 24 years old, I walked by my apartment window, which framed a garden in the cemetery next door. I noticed that the scene, which I had looked at often enough to pay no more attention, was somehow magically transfigured. Everything was self-shining, as my eyes saw not the surface of things, but through them. The trees and tulips were colored jewels, the air a clear crystal. The boulders, in the words of Ezekiel, stones of fire. The whole multicolored bliss was a sea of glass, each object a stained glass window. 
a preternatural brilliance, a slowly breathing radiance, intense yet painless. The essence of beauty suffused everything. And a thought arose in my mind. The expulsion from Eden was only a dimming of vision. We are even yet in paradise. Do you see? There is no ordinary. For the king's garden is all around us. For those with eyes of gratitude to see. Now, I know that it may be very difficult for some of us to see the blessings of God with, with everything going on these days in our world and, and in each of our lives. But in Jesus Christ, the light of the world has come among us that our eyes might be opened once again. For Jesus himself is the ultimate sacrament of God's love and grace, God's life-giving word come to us in the flesh. And through him, we are able to see the world once again as God intended, as a blessing, a gift, pointing us back with grateful hearts to our Creator. And when we come to this table with thanksgiving and we partake by faith of the very eternal self of Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that can truly satisfy our hunger and give us life, then that great banquet in eternity has already begun.